0: Freedom Digital Media presents The Enough Podcast by Anna Larimore, helping the modern millennial woman rediscover her worth and identify her boundaries in business, relationships, friendships, and more. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Enough Podcast for our pilot episode. I'm your host, Anna Larimore, and I am so excited to finally be starting this project. It's really been something that's been in the works for a long time, and I'm super excited and grateful that so many of you have um, just shared your excitement with me via Instagram and talking about it in person, so thanks for tuning in, and let's get started. All right, so first I want to discuss a little bit about who I am and why I started this podcast and kind of the vision I have for the brand at large so everybody can share in that vision and be a part of understanding it, so... I'm 25 years old. This podcast is based in Baltimore, Maryland, and I work full-time for the Baltimore Sun. So I wanted to throw that in there for a couple reasons. One, that's just what I do for a living, Um, but also because I want to make it known that this is not affiliated with my employer in any way. So all opinions are my own. My production team is a separate entity, and this is not in any way affiliated with the Baltimore Sun. But also, if anybody here who's listening has listened to Serial that is the first podcast I've ever listened to. And when I was listening to it, I was newly employed at the Baltimore Sun at the time. And I was really excited that Sarah Koenig, who is the host of that podcast, well, she's the host of the first season, was a Baltimore Sun employee at the time of that story. So this all kind of comes full circle for me. I'm not a journalist at the Sun. I actually do have a journalism degree. That was my major at Ole Miss. Hadi toddy, if you're listening and you went to Ole Miss. But I work in advertising instead. So I love media, I've always loved media, and podcasting is something I've been wanting to dive into for quite a while now. I listen to a lot of podcasts, we'll talk about that later. I also work part-time at Sephora, so I absolutely love beauty and beauty products, and that's been an industry I've worked in for a really long time too, like eight years. But let's take it way back to how and why the Enough podcast got started, because the story is probably the biggest revelation of my life to date. So my whole life, I've struggled with being left out. And if you've known me for most of my life, you probably just kind of rolled your eyes because admittedly, I was a popular girl in school. I had the same boyfriend from sixth grade to 12th grade, which sounds really funny when you put it like that, but it's just the truth. Um, I was captain of the dance team. I have really cool parents. I have a lot of friends. I've always been really involved in a lot of different social activities and had friends in a lot of different groups. But Somehow, believe it or not, maybe you know, maybe you don't, I was always kind of the afterthought invite or just not invited altogether. So that's an insecurity of mine I've always had and something that's always really hurt my feelings. And we'll touch more on that later. But as I mentioned, I went to college at Ole Miss, which is 925 miles away from my hometown in Maryland. So it was a very big deal. Best time of my life. I love Ole Miss so much more than anything. I actually started a blog when I was a sophomore in college before blogging was an industry. Yes, I really just said that. Go ahead, roll your eyes again if you want to. I was a blogger before blogging was cool, before it was lucrative, before it was an industry of its own and a career path in and of itself and um, just even much of a market at all. So I was a blogger. You guys can look it up. It's not great. I think it still exists, but I was on to something long before Instagram even took off, but I wasn't that great at it. I didn't totally know how to take off with it. I was just kind of doing it because I liked it. So the next part of the puzzle here, the summer after my sophomore year of college, I studied abroad in Cape Town, South Africa. And the study abroad program, I'll go ahead and give it a plug. It's called Lead Abroad, focuses on leadership, global citizenship, personal growth, a lot of really awesome real life lessons for a 20 year old to learn. And they shaped me and define who I am still to this day. The program was like everything I could have ever wanted. I went on the craziest adventures, skydiving, bungee jumping, cage diving with great white sharks. I went on safari, just amazing, amazing adventures. And the combination of travel and personal development and adventures was just everything I didn't know I needed. It was really, really cool. So when I came home, I got to thinking, I would love to create a program that is similar to Lead Abroad in that it provides an opportunity for young people to travel and explore personal development and adventures and all that good stuff, but focused on women empowerment specifically. So similar, but different. And I came up with a ton of ideas for it. And I put pen to paper and I got to work and I drafted out this whole business plan of how I was going to make this program a reality. But even though it was on paper, it sort of just remained a dream and I didn't do anything to make it happen. I didn't even know where to start. I was 20 years old and it was way over my head and admittedly a logistics nightmare and I just let it sit in the notes section of my iPhone for years. So I ended up going back to Cape Town, South Africa the following summer. I was 21 to intern with Lead Abroad. And I still had the same women empowerment business idea. It was still important to me. I still wanted to pursue it. Didn't know where to start, never did it. Ended up graduating college, moving back home. I got this boyfriend. Um, not gonna share his name, not gonna share too many details about him, but He's a really big part of my story and the story of the ENOUGH podcast kind of in a thank you next way. Um, It did not work out, but it was the best lesson I've probably ever learned. And I'm so grateful for him because of that. And I can recall pretty early on to our relationship, sharing my business idea with him. And he told me there's no way I could ever make it happen. It was a logistics nightmare. He's not wrong when I think about it in retrospect, but I can, I can remember just listening to him because he's a smart businessman and he knew what he was talking about. So I just kind of let him tell me it wouldn't work out and that was that. And it's also funny because I can remember around that time giving the idea to a friend of mine who was a really close friend at the time and we're not friends anymore, but she had some interest in the idea and then she kind of told me the same thing. I don't really see how we can make this work. Um, you know, good luck, but I don't really think I can be a part of this. So I kind of just had it in the back of my head. It was off the table for the short term, but it was not something that I was willing to give up in the long term. So started really falling in love with this boyfriend of mine. Uh, We moved very quickly. He was older. We're so in love. At least I thought so. Treated me like pure freaking gold. I'm talking nice dinners, flowers, gifts, caring for me when I'm sick, saying nice things to me all the time, like the nicest things, like things, i words of affirmation, that's my love language. So things that you just want to hear and you need to hear and they make you feel special and they make you feel important. And he won over my family, he would drive me around, pick me up, just really became a part of my family, would write little love notes and cook for me and just remember details that meant a lot to me and anything a girl could ever want in a relationship, I had it. And I felt like the luckiest girl alive until I wasn't. And all of that just completely stopped. And he would stay out really late, like five nights a week and not come home. And I got really suspicious. And um, I will share more details about this later in the podcast, but I really don't want to dive into it right now because it's a topic for its own episode, but he would really leave me out of things and get pissed off at me all the time and um he would refuse to be intimate with me because he said i was fat and ugly maybe he didn't use those words but the words he did use were more hurtful so it made me feel awful about myself and i thought i was going crazy because i thought it was all my fault i didn't understand how someone could go from the most thoughtful loving partner to an absolute nightmare Kind of overnight. Um, I don't totally, well, yes, I do actually. I do remember when the table really turned, but I have a feeling that the table had been turning all along and I was just blinded by the love and didn't notice. So turns out that he was a narcissist and I was in the most toxic relationship I will probably ever have in my life. And there were some really scary things going on behind my back and I was so naive and in over my head that I just had no idea. So we broke up and that's a very high level summary and I'm um, out of respect for him. Yes, I said it, respect for him. I'm not really going to share too many details about the relationship. I will, however, share the lessons I, I took from it and how I implemented those into future experiences in my life because at the end of the day, that's a huge part of why this podcast is called what it's called and why it means what it means. So I will dive deeper in those capacities in future episodes, but I'm going to cap that part off for here because I think it is so important and relatable, but I want to make it clear that this is my opinion of my perspective of that experience and I'm not here to trash talk anybody. I'm not here to paint anybody in a bad light. I'm really just here to help anybody who might feel like they've experienced something similar and you might not know what it is or what it means or why it's happening to you. So. When I realized I'd been played, and lied to, and quite frankly kind of scammed, and that everything I thought was real and true never actually was, the idea of my women empowerment business came back into my head in a bigger picture than ever before, and I thought to myself, okay, so I've struggled with feeling like I was not enough in my friendships growing up, and then I struggled immensely in this romantic relationship in feeling like I was enough, and I had neglected my blog, but I love media. And I have so many takeaways from my lead abroad trips that I still hold dear to my heart, and the Enough brand became something that I started stewing up in my head. It, at first, was just kind of this culmination of different experiences that I had that I wanted to recreate because I had so much fun in them. But then it became something more. I wanted it to combine my blog and a, write a book and do trips and conferences and workshops and a podcast. Here we are. But it was more than just struggling to feel like I was enough in my worth. I also realized I have always struggled with knowing when I've had enough, so knowing when to walk away. And that relationship with that particular boyfriend of mine made me realize that I was living with a deep-rooted self-respect issue because no self-respecting person would ever stay in a relationship where the things that were going on and the way I was being treated and the things that were being said to me were happening. But I stayed and I didn't walk until the damage was already done. And in realizing that double meaning of enough, so enough as it pertains to worth, meaning I am enough, and then enough as it pertains to boundaries, meaning I've had enough, the enough podcast was born. So I was finally going to combine this revelation of the enough concept, that dual meaning, with my long-standing women empowerment business idea. So I partnered with my producers here at Freedom Digital Media, and I got to work on the podcast and the brand and... Then the most unthinkable thing ever happened. I got a call from ABC's The Bachelor, and I went through the casting process to be on the show. I ultimately was not cast, obviously, but because of the process itself and how long it took and how just lengthy each part of it was, I had to put the podcast on hold. But now it's a real-life podcast, it's here, I'm recording, we did it, we're doing it, we're making it happen. And I'm so excited to share with everybody more about the Mission of Enough, which essentially is helping our listeners, you, to rediscover your worth and identify your boundaries in friendships, relationships, business, and more. So I just talked a lot and I you'll probably never hear me talk that much as a one-woman show, straight from that point to that from point A to point B like that. But I would love now to kind of turn it over to My production team. I'm sitting here with Jordan from Freedom Digital Media, and I would love for her to kind of introduce herself and talk a little bit about this company that I'm working with and why they were uh, the right choice for me. So I'm going to turn it over to Jordan and let her tell you a little bit about herself. Hi, everybody. My name is Jordan,
1: and as Anna had said, I work as a production coordinator, producer, editor. All of the above, really, for our company, Freedom Digital Media. We are a full-service production company based out of the Baltimore area. We take ideas from script to screen, love working collaboratively with clients, and we are really excited to be working with Anna on this podcast. Um, One of the reasons why we thought this would be a good idea to team up with Anna, help her out, and really have her vision come to fruition is because everyone has a story to tell. And as a company, that's really what we strive to do, is to tell stories and tell them the best way that we can. Uh, Anna has so much to say and she's got so much to tell and we're just really excited to be working with her on this. So yeah, that's us.
0: So our very first guest on the Enough podcast, I'm so excited to introduce her, is Lindsay Ellison. She is the founder of Start Over Find Happiness. She is my personal life coach She doesn't really call herself a life coach. I think she calls herself a relationship coach or business coach. But I like to call her my life coach because she truly helps me in every area of my life. But I came to her actually at the same time that I came to Freedom Digital Media about the podcast. So that was also around the same time that I had broken up with that particular boyfriend that I had previously mentioned. But everything kind of hit the fan when I realized that I was in over my head and I needed some help and I had a story to tell. Not so much to trash talk anybody, but just to kind of process what I had gone through and to help anybody who was maybe going through the same thing. So I was ready to pursue my business. I needed some serious help in healing from the traumatic experience I had just gone through. So I actually found Lindsay in the craziest, most meant to be way. And when I realized that this person was a narcissist, I didn't even totally know what that meant. I thought that that just kind of meant somebody's obsessed with themselves and that's not what it means. Um, we're going to have Lindsay talk a little bit more about what that means and how dark and how dangerous that can be. But I started researching narcissism and putting together all these little things. And I'm thinking, oh my God, that's totally something that this person said to me, or that's totally something that he does or that this person does or whatever. And I was reading this one particular article and trying to make sense of what was going on and what had been going on to me unbeknownst to me. And this author turned out to be a narcissism expert, which I found really interesting. Her name was Lindsay Ellison, and I liked what I read. So I clicked on the link to her website, and I read that she is a relationship coach who works with people all over the world. And I thought that that was really fascinating. And I loved the videos and the podcasts and the articles that I was reading from her. And all this content just really resonated with me. And then I saw where she was located. She's located in Annapolis, Maryland, which is kind of in my backyard and in that moment it was a huge meant to be sign for me because I truly felt like she was someone who was supposed to be in my life and I've been working with her ever since so without further ado I know I've been giving a monologue this whole entire episode so far but it's coming to an end so please welcome Lindsay Ellison. All right. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to have you as my first guest on my pilot episode. You just really personify the Enough brand. And I'm so excited that everybody else gets to learn a little bit about you too. And I don't get to just keep you to myself. So if you wouldn't mind just telling a little bit about your business and how and why you got started in it.
2: Awesome. Well, first of all, I'm really excited to be here and talk to you, and be—I'm kind of honored here to be on your first episode, and uh, super proud of you for. Thank you. Uh, all the all the work that you've done and coming this far, so I'm really excited, and I think uh, your audience will absolutely fall in love with you. Okay, with that said, uh, so uh, like I said, I'm Lindsay Ellison. I have a coaching business called Start Over Coaching. Uh, My website's lindsayellison.com, and how I got into coaching was a bit by, (laughs) a little bit by mistake. Um, It really wasn't an intention, let's just say that. Um, I was divorced 10 years ago. I was 35 at the time, and um, I was with my ex for, gosh, 17 years. My kids were four and seven years old when I decided to get out of the relationship for a number of reasons, um, which you know my, my site explains that story, and I'm sure I can dig into it a little bit here today. But I ended up um, really leaving that relationship was incredibly confusing, because I knew something was wrong with it, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I knew I wasn't happy, and so much of that conflict and confusion I'd say started around the time I was around 29. I think I just had my second child, and um, I was just not happy, so I thought there was something with kind of post-baby blues, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I gave it another five years, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And uh, getting out of that was incredibly hard because I didn't know anybody who was divorced yet, and it just – everyone was still kind of in the (laughs) – Having baby phases, and I was really, and I was kind of younger to have kids. So, my kids were a little bit older than the rest of my friends. So, the whole process, just navigating the divorce, was really, really uh, hard. And once I left and started to become single, and then I dated and dealt with all that stuff, dating was really hard because I never dated. I never, you know, I met my husband sophomore year in college. So, you know, navigating the whole digital world of dating and texting and all of that stuff was a huge, huge learning curve, and I did a lot of things wrong. And so, once I, you know, took a kind of two, three years into uh, my post-divorce life, and really, I'd say, do doing a 180 with my life, and huge spiritual growth, and learning a lot about narcissism and codependency, which was kind of the thing that plagued our marriage. I began to write about it, and I have a journalism background, and even though I was in advertising and PR, I really didn't feel as though my writing um, was ever being used. So I really just couldn't wait to start writing. So that's how it all got started. I started blogging, I created a website, and I think what really kind of was the huge game changer for my business was when I started writing for the Huffington Post. And that was back in the time when Huffington Post allowed you to, um, to write and they, they, you know, were pretty easy to get into at the time.
0: And that's how I found you.
2: Yeah. And, uh, so the Huffington Post articles, I'd say there was a few that went very viral overnight that I wrote. I think I wrote like two, three in a row or something like that. And, overnight I mean, my phone, I just remember waking up one day and getting like a hundred emails from people saying oh my gosh you so it was as if you know you were telling my story can you help me and I thought well sure you know I'll have a call with you and that's kind of how it got got started and that was about seven years ago and since then I've built kind of a, a, a large platform in terms of you know I have a lot of blogs I have an online course uh, I also have a podcast Um Kind trying to build up my YouTube channel at this point. I'm a little behind the times there, but that's really how it got started. And I started coaching, gosh, I've been coaching people all over the world. So my whole business is rather wow. virtual. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, very exciting.
0: So something else that I would really love for you to dive into, because I've never met anyone who can do this as eloquently as you can, is people ask me all the time, just kind of in conversation based on my personal experience or their own relationship struggles, just kind of, you know, when you're talking to a girlfriend and you're venting and you're trying to make sense of something that's maybe going on in your relationship is talk a little bit about, if you will, warning signs for narcissism. If you might find yourself in a position where you're in a relationship that is more dangerous than you might even realize.
2: Sure. Well, let me just maybe give a, a little overview on what narcissism is in case people don't know about it. We, I think yes. we all assume that we do. Um, but you know, it's funny when I, I've heard that word so many times and I didn't really know what it meant until, uh, post divorce, I encountered one, I'd say he was kind of the first big overt narcissist. And, um, our relationship, I think we lasted six months, and I was so, you know, head over heels in love with this guy, and then he just basically dropped me, and I found out that he was, you know, had a whole other life up in another state, and um, and that was really kind of my rock bottom post divorce. Actually, it wasn't the divorce; it was this guy. And I had to learn all about narcissism and then you know reading books about it, it made me recognize a, a, some pretty big aha moments. And one of them was is that my ex was a narcissist, and that really uh, and still is. Um, but that really opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, it was painful to to recognize, but I also learned that my father was too. So typically when we are involved and we fall in love with narcissists, it really goes back to um, how we were raised. And I'd say a lot of women fall prey to narcissists because I think just our culture is raising women to be pleasers and um, and, you know, just... Uh, being the good girl and doing the right thing. And so typically when we are raised that way, um, sometimes in an abusive way, but sometimes just by default, we learn a narrative in our head um, that when someone is doing something wrong or we feel as though there's a red flag, we really don't say anything because we don't wanna be rude. And we're also kind of typically positive people. So we're always trying to give this person the benefit of the doubt. So when we are in this process of early dating, there are always red flags, but I think a lot of us miss them. And a lot of people ask me, well, how do I, um, how do I repel a narcissist? Well, one of them is really first understanding what it is that you require and really having a very clear set of boundaries. So I always like to say people, when you're, starting to date, um, whether you've taken a break or you've been doing it for a while, it really doesn't matter. Just start journaling all the things that you require from this person. And it's not so much on an aesthetic of things of what he looks like. It's just more about how do you want to be treated? And what are the things that you want from this person um, and into a meaningful relationship? And kind of what are those early things such as, you know, I always like to say one of my my favorite requirements is this person makes me feel safe, where I'm not guessing whether they're going to call me or text me. I just know because I have a good feeling about it. So when they start to just really ramp up early on, um, where they just start to be, uh, typically narcissists are always like that go big or go home kind of people. I always say uh, they really like to to throw out the red carpet treatment and really make themselves feel or make themselves appear to you that they are just Prince Charming. And if you are in a place where you've been down in the dumps for a while and uh, I feel like narcissists have these kind of strange radar tentacles where they know that you need to be saved, let's say. And so they really um the relationship typically goes from zero to 80 very quickly and you're in just this total head spin because you're just like is this too good to be true and so that's one of the questions we have to ask is is this too good be to, too, too good to be true because a relationship is about an interview it's a long-term interviewing process until you are thinking or in a committed relationship so if everything is just really really great that's always a, a sign where you just you gotta put the brakes on it. And it's okay to put the brakes on it. And if they are not willing to go at your pace and then you feel as though you're being pressured, then that's a red flag. Um gosh, I could come up with a hundred different things. I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because there are a hundred different things. That's the thing. And I think part of my experience was realizing that there were so many more red flags than I even understood until so far later so far after it was over and I was removed from it and that's that's kind of a really alarming part of it is that you know it's obvious to say okay if they give me these huge gifts and take me on these huge trips immediately that's a red flag but there are so many other smaller red flags that you just kind of realize later yeah I ignored that and that wasn't normal that's that's just it is that there are so many more red flags than you even realize until you're so far removed from the relationship and you think, okay, yeah, the big trip and the the expensive gift in the beginning, that was a red flag that I maybe ignored, but there were so many others that maybe weren't as obvious that were still just as much of a red flag in their own way. And that's something that I think is is kind of scary about it is that the ones that maybe aren't so obvious are so much easier to ignore or to make excuses for or to just totally not even realize that they're red flags at all. And that's a big part of it, I think.
2: Yeah. And I think, too, we should, I should probably explain a little bit about... The mentality of a narcissist um, and where they are, and narcissists have a very low self-esteem, even though it's so hard to pick up on because they typically act uh, so confident and you know oozing with personality and they're they have so much charm, but deep down they um, have a real deep shame. Um, it's that that stems from their childhood. And let's just say they had a mom or father who was a narcissist and then didn't treat them very well. And they were really only being loved on certain conditions, the condition that they were amazing and not unconditionally where they were allowed to have failures. So in order to get the love from said parent or the attention from said narcissist parent, They typically, uh, you know, around the time of adolescence, they recognize that if I have a false sense of self, I get more praise. I get more love and safety from my narcissistic parent. So that works for them. And then the more they do that, they more, the more they realize, oh my gosh, I feel better about myself. Everybody else looks at me. Um, as this, you know, I'm an amazing person. And so it becomes a bit of, let's just say it's kind of a bit of a drug for them. And that ultimately becomes their narrative and their coping mechanism. So they are typically attracted to people that represent the opposite of who they really are. Does that make sense? So if you're (laughs) really outgoing and smart and capable, They want to surround themselves with people like you so that they can um, proliferate their false sense of self, so that they can keep that false sense of self going. So they're often like chameleons where they mirror you. And that's why we get such a high when we're around them, because everything we say gets mirrored back to us. And that's how they act. Um, So you feel as though you've got this insane chemistry between the two of you. But narcissists can never really uphold this false sense of self for too long. So as things are going really well, you know, you've got like, I mean, everything seems to be perfect. Over time, they fear that their true sense of self is going to be exposed. So the longer you are with them, the more that they know that you know who they are. So you might then somewhere, you know, two, three months in the relationship, start to have a boundary, start to say, this isn't okay with me, or notice that their behavior isn't consistent the way it used to be. So you might say something. Well, psychologically, what this narcissist is thinking is, if she keeps saying this to me, I'm going to be exposed. Now that is completely on a subconscious level. So As you were starting to fall in love and really kind of fall into his web and you start to say, hey, you know, like have an argument or try to communicate on something or, hey, I noticed your your behavior isn't consistent or what's going on. They don't like that. So they will typically find ways. And this is where I say this is the narcissistic toolbox where they use a, a variety of different things to make sure that you don't expose them. And a lot of people say, well, why won't he just dump me (laughs) if that's the case? And a lot of times they do. They will literally just dispose of you and walk away. Um, But other narcissists really like to play the game. And so they love the fact that um, you are so enamored with them. That is a source of supply for them. Uh, That term narcissistic supply is basically a fancy word for gasoline to the ego. So ultimately, they do kind of a few different things, and I'll just kind of go over them. So one of them is um, gaslighting. So gaslighting is a term... Where um, it actually comes from the 19, I think it's a 1948 film called Gaslight, where the husband and wife were living together and he was really trying to make her crazy and was tampering with the lights up in the attic, which were gaslights back then. And he would tamper them and um, in the attic and make them flicker. And she would say, why are the lights flickering? And he would say, no, they're not. So that's where that term came from. And ultimately, she went crazy because of it. So gaslighting is where you might say something to your potential partner or your existing partner and say, "Uh, I didn't like the way you were behaving or why did you say this? And they'll literally say, no, that didn't happen. Or you're completely wrong or they'll reverse it on you and say that I think you're being crazy or you're overreactive or maybe you're bipolar. They'll really start to question your sanity. Yeah. And if you love them and trust them already, you'll start to believe them because your fear is losing them. And they know that. Right. So that's how they kind of start to get into your head. And then if you start to retreat and say, okay, this doesn't feel good, you know, you start to pull back. You might even question whether this relationship is right for you. You might even make threats that I'm going to end this relationship. Another tool that they'll use is what we call love bombing. So as you begin to retract, which is ultimately a boundary that this isn't okay with me, they pick up on that. So then they'll do a 180 and all of that bad behavior that they did goes away for a while. So then they'll love bomb you and say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm a horrible person. Please forgive me. I love you. You're amazing. Love bombing is can, can, uh, typically via text or email, flowers, gifts, things like that. So it's really designed, again, um, from an, it's very manipulative, but it's designed for them to throw you off balance. So it's designed to make you forget of the bad behavior. And again, if you're in love with them, you'll you'll go back to them because you believe that their, their promises are going, they're going to uphold their promises, which they typically don't. Um, and so that's often kind of the beginning of the cycle of abuse and abuse and emotional abuse and psychological abuse, I think is so much harder than physical abuse because you have no proof of it, you yeah. know? <laughs> I do know. Yep. One of the other things is um, stonewalling. So should you have a boundary if you have an argument and you're trying to make your point heard and you want to feel heard, they are experiencing what's called a narcissistic injury, which is really a threat to their false sense of self. Again, boundary equals threat to false sense of self that in order to keep you feeling, um, Kind of pushing you down and them trying to maintain control is stonewalling you, which means they literally build a kind of a, a a stone wall around them and around you where they won't speak to you for a week or two. Yeah. Or especially that that happens a lot in when you're living with this person and um, and then when you try to speak to them, they just have nothing to say. Um, and then if it if you're if it hurts so much it ultimately stonewalling uh, makes you concede, makes you apologize, makes you feel as though, all right, in order to make, because I mean, stonewalling is like a somewhat kind of like isolation, right? And nobody likes to feel isolated. Uh, So you'll ultimately end up uh, uh, apologizing and changing your behavior, which is exactly what they want to do. And then after the stonewalling and after you've done that, that's maybe when they'll start to use love bombing again. Um, so those are kind of some three big red flags that I think happen in a relationship. I don't know if that's, if that's covering it it, or if you want to even share maybe something that happened to you that was such a subtle red flag that you didn't even know it at the time.
0: Yeah, gosh, it's, you know, what's funny is that, and you know, my story, but it's so funny because as you're saying all of this, it kind of brings me back to when I was learning about it for the first time. Um, you know, before I ever talked to you when I was reading your articles and also when we started working with each other and you were coaching me through what I had just gone through and it's so funny now how far removed that feels because in that moment, it really felt so heavy and it felt so unclear and murky and confusing. But if I really think back and I think about something that was maybe a little bit more subtle, It was a little strange how much he was invested in people that I didn't introduce him to. Like, um, yeah, the gifts nonstop. I mean, I was getting flowers. I was getting um, presents to unwrap. I was getting things sent to my house, sent to my work. But it was also kind of strange how he was love bombing the people around me, like he was like courting my mom and courting my coworkers, like would send me something and would also send my coworkers a little something. Interesting, wow. Or- um, That's intense. And I, and I literally, until you just asked me to think about something subtle, I kind of forgot about that. But in the very beginning, I can remember I was, um, I had a couple of different jobs at that point, still on my feet trying to find my place. And yeah, he was- he was really courting the people around me, not just me. And I almost wonder if part of that was like it was so important for him to prove this, I am this good guy, look at me, that he needed the people whose opinions I valued to nod in agreement with me.
2: Right. Yeah, well, yeah, it's 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 um gosh, it's that's pretty manipulative if you think about it, because it is. He is getting them into his web so that should you ever question whether he's a good guy or a bad guy and you go to those people that you really care about, they're going to be more likely on his side because they yep. think he's amazing.
0: That's so funny you say that because I'm i just now having a memory. I haven't thought about this in a long time, but I'm just now remembering when we went on vacation and we stayed with a friend of mine and... Unbeknownst to me, he sent a very nice uh, thank you gift, signed it from the both of us, and this friend and her roommates call us, and they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for this gift. That's so generous, yada, yada, yada. And I can remember as things started to go south, and they had already gone south, but as I realized things were going south, and I'm confiding in this friend, and I'm crying to her, and I'm saying... This this isn't gonna work and I don't think I can do this anymore. She's telling me what an amazing person he is, and she's referencing that gift. Mm-hmm. And that that's just it. You know, when they when that person, when that narcissist is able to manipulate the people in your life who you trust and value the most, it makes it that much harder to walk away because nobody is telling you that you should.
2: Well, right. And so I talked about this in the beginning of the interview um about I knew something was wrong in my marriage, but I couldn't pinpoint it. And what I knew was, is he wasn't treating me well behind closed doors, but to everyone else outside of our home, everyone loved him. Mm-hmm. Even our daycare provider. I mean, and it was like when I had to, when I finally came out and I had to tell people, I I used to say to my therapist, I feel like I'm coming out of the closet <laughs> because yeah. it was this truth that no one knew. And you know, and then there was so much shame because I didn't share, you know, when you're with someone for a while, you, you just stop sharing like your crap. And I, I, I didn't want to tell my friends or family what was really going on because no one would believe it because everyone saw me as, I mean, even in college, I was that girl that stood up for my friends. Like if my, um, If my girlfriend got dumped by a guy, you would see me going up to him at a party and wanting to kick his ass. I mean, I wouldn't let anyone mess with my friends. Yet, I let people mess with me all the time and I didn't even know it, you know. And I think too, the longer you're with this person, the more you have invested, you know, in my case, a home, children, you know, our whole financial life since I was 21 years old in my professional life our finances were all connected. So it becomes harder and harder to leave. And um when I really started to, you know, I was going to therapy. And you know, I gotta say, throughout this entire time I'm with my therapist who I really did like, he never mentioned that my ex was a narcissist. And they we've got there's kind of two words. There's a covert narcissist and an overt. The overt one is you know, probably more like maybe your ex and my ex-boyfriend post-divorce where, I mean, it was just so obvious that they were like, I mean, they're just so, um, overt, over the top, narcissistic. Yeah. Um, but then you've got your covert who just, that's harder. They're kind of like, uh, undercover op- ops there, right. Of, um, where you, they just play nice all the time. Um, but they're not overt about it. And so that's kind of what I was dealing with. And, I remember going to a party, um, and I just had my second child. So this party I think was kind of the first party where I felt like I was like around grownups and I think I'd lost weight. And I remember it was a white party and everyone was dressed white and I know I looked really good. And I think I'd been you know, in the home with two kids, and I just couldn't wait to be out with grown-ups. And so it was a party that was a friend of mine. And it was really more I was trying to network and get back into the um, into my consulting career at the time. And we were talking and I was just being a social butterfly meeting people. And um, I don't think I was paying too much attention to my ex, but I didn't even notice it. And this woman was talking to him, and then he got up and left, I think went to the bar, and then I started talking to her. And out of nowhere, this woman says to me, what are you doing with him? Total stranger. Like no one had ever said that. So she had some kind of radar where she, and she was an older woman. She picked up on it. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I can just tell that um, you're not happy.
0: My eyes just got big. (laughs) Right? Right. Yeah, because that's crazy that someone, that's wild, you know, that someone is able to pick up on that when they don't even know you.
2: And so she and I really hit it off and we were pretty much chatting for the rest of the night. Anyway, we got into the car and um, I I just got, I just remember going, wow, that was such a fun party. And that is when he laid into me. And so you, you know, again, uh, to the outside world, everyone thought he was charming, except for this one woman. We get in the car and he told me he had to pick at something of everything that I said. And I don't remember so long ago what he said specifically, but I remember feeling so like I looked good. Um, I felt so confident again, being out in the kind of social grown-up world. And right. I, I, it was something like, do you really think you're going to get a job? you know, do you, do you really think you look that great? Or, I mean, I think I was breastfeeding still and he must've made a comment about my large breasts. And, and I remember from that house to like the five miles drive home, I felt like a snail. I felt so small after that. And that was the kind of stuff that he would do. And, um, and it's so confusing because I did at the time, you know, admire him and everybody else admired him, but it, you know, so it's weird when everyone else likes this person. and It makes it to, so confusing. Yeah. And then when I ended up having to tell my parents, it was really, really hard um, because I never told them. I never told them when I got into a fight with him. I just I just ripped the Band-Aid off and just said, hey, I'm getting a divorce or something like that. And they, they just couldn't believe it. And it took my father probably a year or two to get over my ex. My ex used to, uh, oh my gosh, he, he, he played my father like a violin. He, we'd go down to his house in Florida and those two would just be all chummy. And he would, you know, tell stories and I could just see my dad just soaking it all in. And I remember going on these trips and feeling like I wanted to get out of there. And I always would get in the car and just go for a drive. And I had no idea what was going on, but I felt so suffocated. And my mom picked up on it. And she said to me, like, why is it that you're always leaving (laughs) whenever you're here? And I said to her, I don't know. And I finally started to connect all the dots. It's because he squashed my soul, you know, over time. I, there was nothing left of me and That's why leaving a narcissist, breaking up with them or divorcing them is so hard to do because it's like you're swimming upstream when everybody else is going downstream. You are going against the grain. And when people, I remember people calling me, all of our friends saying, Lindsay, you know." marriages go through ups and downs and stick it out. And you've got two little kids and how could you do this to them? That was, that was one of the hardest things is how could you do this to the children? And no one ever once said, how could he do this to the kids? No one ever allowed him to take, or no one made him accountable, nor did he hold himself accountable. So when I got out and I moved and I, you know, I had luckily had enough money saved up to, I had to rent a place. I mean, I had to leave the marital home because he would have never left and I, I felt like someone just put on an oxygen mask for me for the first time. Like I could breathe. I could see everything. And it was, um, it's really when you get out of that relationship, do you, where you, you can look at it from a bird's eye view and say, oh my God, I cannot believe I went through all of that. And, and that's the thing, you know, narcissistic abuse, I think is one of the the most dangerous forms of abuse because We don't even see it happening while it's happening and nobody else does either. But what I really like to say, and I think you, you, you've known this with, we've done this together when we work together is it's always about what does your gut say? When you're feeling like something's wrong, something is wrong. If you feel as though you have to ask your girlfriend, Hey, this is what happened the other night. It doesn't matter what she says. The fact that you're asking it, you've got to lean into that. Your gut always knows the truth. Your heart always knows the truth. Always.
0: And I think, too, just to touch on a couple things you just said that really struck a chord with me. When you mentioned the white party and how that lady approached you and she said, what are you doing with him? I just had a flashback, and I, I legitimately have not thought about this since it happened because that's how little I thought of it. But when I was first dating this particular ex-boyfriend, I remember uh, sitting on the couch with him and getting an Instagram message from a girl I didn't follow, who didn't follow me. And I don't know how or why she found me, but she said, you're with my friend's boyfriend. And I was like cracking up and I said, look at this, this person who you don't follow, I don't follow, no idea who she is, she thinks you're somebody's boyfriend. And he said, okay, like, that's crazy. And I just responded and I was like, no, like, he's my boyfriend. I don't know what you're talking about. And um, it's just so funny now in retrospect, like, I don't remember this person's name. I don't remember where they lived. I don't remember a thing about him, but she was probably telling me the truth. And I had no idea. And not only did I have no idea I like didn't even care because I didn't, I thought that she was quote unquote crazy. And that's, that's really sad, you know, in retrospect to think that.
2: I have a similar story. I was, um, dating that guy and I remember we were out to dinner and kind of, I'd say two, three weeks into this relationship, which felt like forever because again, zero to 80. And he told me about this ex-girlfriend and the girl who was before me and we're sitting at dinner and his phone was blowing up, like his texting. And, um, I'm like, who's texting you? And he said, oh, it's so-and-so. And I'm like, well, what does she want? And he's rolling his eyes reading this stuff. And he actually handed the phone over to me and I, to read it. And it was like, I bet you're out to dinner with her because I think she knew that, you know, he'd moved on and I bet you're out to dinner with your new flavor of the month. And, uh, one of these days she's going to, you know, she's going to be in my shoes and, um, you just discarded me like you're going to discard her. And I swear to God, I look back and it was almost as though God was just literally sending me a warning message to run. And I, (laughs) did the opposite where I thought, wow, how transparent of him to even share this message with me. Um, I, I felt as though, um, he was being so open and honest and not hiding the phone where I could read this message. And he said something like, yeah, she's just a little mentally unstable. And I, and I felt bad for her, but I thought, Um, and I, and you know what, if I were to put that whole thing on slow-mo, I remember getting a very tight feeling in my stomach, a bit of kind of feeling sick that this was wrong, that maybe I should listen to her, but I put it away because the whole scene was so like loving and, um, and the opposite of what I was actually feeling really, really deep down. Right. And, Interestingly enough, you know, fast forward five months later, um, he had discarded me and I became obsessed with his every move and checking him out on Facebook. Um, even though we were not on friends, he had a very open profile because why he's a narcissist and, um, and he had some, some girl, I forget, it could have been Twitter or whatever. He had a photo and I think I said the same thing. Like I, I'm, I was so crazy. <laughs> I do not recommend doing this to anybody, by the way, but I was so angry with how he just discarded me for no reason. And so I, I found myself saying the exact same thing that this girl had sent to me and, and you know, not to me, but to him through me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is what they end up doing is they, kind of the, the, the previous girlfriend that they might have, have had, there's a lot of info you can get by interviewing your date about what happened in the former relationship.
0: A hundred percent.
2: Right? Yes. And if you, if you hear, I've said the word interview a few times because that's what dating is. It's an interview and you are bringing them into your world and do they qualify? And do they, um, are you going to give away your time to someone who I believe needs to earn it, right? And if you are finding that they aren't earning their time just by the quality of time that you're spending together, or if they're not sharing information and being transparent with her, you still have to make the the you still have to put all the pieces together based on what they've said because if you really believe for every word that they say, then you're up shit's creek sometimes, right? right? You really have to start putting the pieces together and really interviewing them, just like you would interview a candidate for a job, right? You have to interview them a few times before you offer them a job, right? So it's the same thing. If you're going to be interviewing these people, and likewise, vice versa, you know, if they're good people, they should be doing the same thing with you. But if you're not hearing, um, if some of the stories from their past isn't lining up and it's really making you question, that's just a time to pause and you either go back and, and, and readdress the question to make sure it's been getting answered properly. Or if it's not, then walk away. It's so much easier right. to walk away early on than it is later. It sure is.
0: It really is. But a couple of other things that you just mentioned that are something that I wanted to talk to you about anyway is you said something that I have actually said to other people that I find to be really interesting. You said that when you were talking with your therapist, she never once mentioned the possibility of your ex being a narcissist. And that was also my experience is that it wasn't until I started working with you, a coach, that I started exploring that. And I have a email where listeners can chime in and ask questions about whatever they want that maybe we can address here on the podcast. And one of the questions I've already gotten was, can you talk a little bit about the difference in therapy and coaching? And obviously there are a million differences, but one difference for me personally as someone who's done both is that I did not know, I had no idea that I had a self-respect issue and that my ex was a narcissist until I talked to a coach. That was not something that I, explored or talked about at all in therapy. So, I found it interesting that you also did not know until um after therapy that your ex might be a narcissist. Yeah, and
2: I when I <laughs> broke up with that guy, um I went to my therapist who was a new person at the time, and she said to me, "Oh my god, he's a total narcissist." And I'm like, okay, yeah, what does that mean? And she told me uh, a little bit. And I remember driving from her office to Barnes & Noble. And at the time, there were like two books on it. And I picked up a book called Narcissistic Lovers. And I still have that in the, my bookcase right behind me. But I read this thing, and it was a, it's a, it was a small, thin book. And I remember reading it. And I dropped to the floor in the aisle of Barnes & Noble, and I just wept. Because it started to explain everything that was going on and it was validating and vindicating on many ways. Um, but I ended up, <laughs> I was so angry because I thought, why didn't anybody tell me? I mean, I had been in marriage counseling and seeing this and I loved my therapist on other levels, but it was so clear how my ex was a narcissist and how he was so passive aggressive. And he never mentioned that to me. And I thought if only I'd known that, um, you know, two, three years into that marriage, I would have, God, I probably would have left a lot earlier, but here's, here's why. Um, so it's a personality disorder. Uh, narcissism is a spectrum disorder. So it's on a spectrum, just like autism could be on a spectrum. We call it, you know, when he's on the spectrum. Uh, so a a lot of the times, um, a spectrum disorder is really hard, you know, especially if it's on the lower spectrum, that's really hard to pinpoint. And I don't think my ex is a full blown narcissist. The other guy was, but he wasn't and, and still isn't. My, my ex is still able to have empathy um, on, on certain things. Um, so being that this is a, a personality disorder, in order for a therapist to know about any disorders, it, they typically learn from what's called the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistic Manuals of Disorders. Right. The DSM, When I was back, let's say this is now, you know, nine, 10 years ago, um, narcissistic personality disorder had only been in the DSM for two years. So if you're dealing with a therapist who has been in the business for 20, 30 years, they may not be taking continuing education classes. They may not know what NPD is. And it has become far more of a studied personality disorder just over the past five years and so now I think this is, a, that was the DSM four, there's different volumes, right? And I think that was the DSM four or five. So it really hadn't been out there as an actual personality disorder and like it is now. So I think that's one of the reasons why, if, you know, depending on the age of your therapist and how well-schooled they are, um, if you're ever like talking to a therapist, ask them what's your experience with it? How much schooling do you have? What do you know about it? Uh, So for me, this was all self-taught stuff. And I ended up finding certain therapists uh, that were not living near me that I ended up interviewing for my articles and for my podcasts. And then I started working with them. And I worked with one in particular who I really studied under him. I mean, there are some really, and his name is Ross Rosenberg, if anyone wants to look into his work. Ross Rosenberg, he wrote a book called The Human Magnet Syndrome. And that really, really gives you a beautifully clinically written understanding of narcissistic personality disorder, as well as codependency. And I think just from my own personal mission, um, I feel as though I'm a warrior in many respects of trying to help as many people as possible through this. So I think a lot of people are better coaches or better therapists, uh, based on their past. And the thing is that again, the difference between a coach and a therapist is I'm very open with my past. Um, Anna, you know that I've shared so much about, I'm very transparent oh, yeah. with my, my my past and I find that a lot of people get a better connection with me when they see me as just another human who's been through the exact same thing they've been and I feel as though it makes me more approachable and just easier to talk to therapists don't share their personal life. They're like doctors on so many levels. I mean, I've worked with therapists where I don't even know if they're married or, you know, or, or that I would if they have a wedding ring, but they don't ever share their childhood or anything um, with me. So it's really a one-sided relationship where you talk. That's how I feel too. They listen and then they guide you to certain things, you know, to, to hopefully having some awakenings. Uh, for coaching, for me, it's it's different because I, um, we are not. Uh, I don't, you know, coaches don't, don't. It's here's the pros and cons. Coaching is not a regulated industry. Anyone could be a coach. So uh, the pros of that is that I am not bound to. You know, in order for me to keep up my license, I have to have a code of ethics or a code of conduct that many therapists have to have in order for them to be licensed in their state, as well as to take insurance. There's just things that they cannot say. They can never give you legal advice. They just can't. That's like against the law. Right. So if you're going through a divorce, they can't. They'll, I remember saying to my lit therapist, well, what do I do? And he's like, I can't do that. You're going to have to talk to your lawyer about that. And I wanted a hybrid of the two, you know, yeah. um, you also cannot contact them. You know, you can't be texting your therapist. Um, again, that's just something that they can't do to keep their license. Uh, you have to have a license in order to accept health insurance. So the therapy world has a lot of restrictions to it in order for them to keep up their, their license coaching on the other hand, it's not regulated. Um, obviously the, the cons for that is anyone can be a coach and, you could hire the wrong person, you know, <laughs> you, you, uh, I've, I've been in situations where I've had people come to me and telling me that their coach, where a coach really starts to take the work personally. So if you're not listening to them, they can, they can get mad at you. And I've, I've seen some sticky situations, but typically coaches really come from, um, a more holistic background and, um, there are coaching certification courses and, um, you want to hopefully find someone who has a certification, but, um, like I said, it's not very regulated. So you see, there's just pros and cons to it. And that's why I, I love being a coach because, um, I don't have anyone telling me what I can and cannot do. And, but I, I feel as though I'm very professional and that I, uh, I will actually, you know, if I'm, if I'm with a client and they're, they're just not applying the work and doing the work, Uh, I I will let them go. So, and I don't keep taking them. And again, I think therapists will just keep taking your money um, and and just sitting there in your office. And, and I won't do that. You know, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, definitely a relationship. I think you really do have a relationship with your coach. I don't know so much if you have a relationship with your therapist. I hope that answers that question.
0: It does. And I would agree. And I think that's kind of a perfect place for us to wrap up because you kind of just described how I feel about you, to be honest. I, I'm so grateful to have built a relationship with you and to be able to contact you and the fact that you are so transparent as to share your experiences with me and open up and be able to relate to me and, um, guide me in a way that feels really personal. So I know I tell you this all the time, but I'm just so, so grateful for, all the work you've done in my life and everything that you've helped me see and learn because it really has transformed how I've moved forward from that experience. So thank you so much.
2: And I have to say, I was just saying this to you the other night. I mean, I think the wisdom that you've gained from working with me, I I have just seen such a transformation. I mean, you're starting to finish sentences the way I would finish them. (laughs) You know, you're, you're speaking my language now when you talk to me and when you might ask me, well, what should I do? And then as I'm typing, you're already, you're already saying that answer. So you already know. And you're going to take this knowledge and you're still very young. I was just saying to you the other night, I said, you know, 50 year old women who are kind of the majority of my age groups I and mean, we've been 45 and 60, um, are learning things that you're, that you you've, I think mastered. So if your audience, I don't know what your audience age is, but if you guys are in your twenties and you're, you can master some of the stuff that I'm talking about and, and reading some of the books about self-love, Oh my God! When you're in your 40s, you're going to be just a major ass kicker. I mean, you just are. And and I and I think millennials and get such a bad rap for so many things. I think you guys are like the strongest generation we've seen. There, are, you all are learning boundaries and learning to do things your way and not the way everyone has been telling you to do it. And I, I'm just really hopeful for how you all are going to have relationships. And I'm interested to see what the marriage rate will be. Uh, in 20, 30 years, because I think you guys are gonna marry. I think you're waiting longer to get married, because you're you're not messing around. You're gonna yeah. wait for the right person.
0: I'm not messing around. That's for sure.
2: I know, and I love that. <laughs>
0: But all right, Lindsay, tell us about where we can find your book, where we can find you on social media, and how we can contact you through your website.
2: Yeah, so I'm at lindsayellison.com. That's Lindsay, L-A-N-D-S-E-Y, Ellison, dot ncom And I have a book called uh, Magic Words, How to Get What You Want from a Narcissist. And that book is all about how to navigate difficult conversations with a narcissist. So it's typically for someone who is looking to get divorced, or if you have a narcissistic parent or someone that you, you cannot benefit from no contact. Uh, it's a book on how to have a strategic communication without losing your mind. That's on Amazon. I'm also on audible. I have an audible version of that book. I also have a podcast um, on iTunes and you can find me at Start Over Find Happiness. That's my podcast. Gosh, what else? And Facebook. I'm mostly on Facebook, but I'm still branching out. Don't don't give up on me on Instagram yet. I'm, <laughs> I'm working on it.
0: <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> getting there. All right. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. I am so excited that you're my first guest. I am so excited for just these listeners to learn a little bit more about you and your business and your brand and all these really important topics. And I can't wait to have you on again on a future episode.
2: Well, thank you so much. Good luck. I'm so proud of you. And uh, I really, uh, I can't wait to see where this is going to go. I'm sure it's going to do some big things.
0: Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Bye. Wasn't she great? She was awesome. I just, I truly adore her. And honestly, I really would not be the person I am today without her help and I've since referred her to some friends who've also had amazing things to say about her and the work she's done in their lives. And if any of you are listening and you're looking for some help and healing, whether that's with relationships or friendships or business or your personal life, really anything at all, go to her website, get in touch with her. I promise you that you will adore her too. And before we wrap up, I do want to address two of the other questions that I've recently gotten on Instagram and in the podcast email. So Jordan and I are just going to talk about these really briefly. Um, The first one says, how do you manage working two jobs, manage and balance actually working two jobs and a social life? And for me, um, that answer is pretty easy. It's that it's not easy to do all of that. So I like to break that narrative and get that out of the way. It's not easy. It's really hard. But for me personally, I write everything down. I have a planner, so I don't just write it down in my calendar on my phone or type it on my Outlook, on my computer or whatever. I actually physically write it down on a planner because I think I read somewhere, maybe I'm making this up. (laughs) I think I read somewhere that when you write something down, it helps you remember it. So for me, I'm a very visual person and I like to open up my planner and look at my whole week right in front of me and hold it tangibly. But I also feel like it helps me remember what I actually have to do. Um, because I wrote it down. So for me, writing things down and then also, in my opinion, and Jordan, jump in here if you feel like you agree, I feel like if you want to do something, you're going to do it. Yeah. It doesn't matter how busy you are.
1: Yeah, it'll sit with you and, and it's all about like kind of making time for it. It's all I about
0: mean, making time.
1: Yeah, it's all about having like prioritizing stuff. Like I've worked since I was 15, babysitting summer jobs, all of the above. Uh, and, and like you have your planner, I live on my Google calendar. I, if it's not on there, I don't know about it. I'm not doing it. Right. So it, it's kind of having one source that you can always go back to and always rely
0: on. That It's kind of just finding your, your thing, right? right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yours is your Google calendar. Mine is my planner. I also do have a Google calendar and an outlook and all of that jazz. But for me, my planner is like my go-to. And I think if you can just find something, whatever it is, where you can pour all of your things into and stick with it, it'll really help you manage things. And you also just kind of have to decide your priorities. Like I was recently dating someone and I'm not gonna talk trash about it, but it was one of those things where he decided that he didn't have time for me anymore. And in the back of my, he doesn't know that I thought this because I didn't say so, but in the back of my head, I just knew it was over because I knew he didn't want to make time anymore and that's fine. It didn't hurt my feelings. It actually saved me a lot of time because I was able to take a couple days and process it more and then go back and let him know, you know what, I really don't want to be an option to you. I'd rather be a priority to somebody else because I really value my time and I value the time of everybody around me. So I think if you can know your boundaries with your schedule, if you can find a planner or a calendar or something that works for you, and if you can just really connect the two and decide to make time for the things you want to make time for and write them down or type them out, you will. And I also like to break the narrative that I've always been this way because this is really a topic for another episode, but there was a time where I was not half as busy as I am now and it's really made me appreciate all of the things I have going on in my life now. I really see them as opportunities and not obligations and that's kind of where i would love to challenge you as a listener to start viewing all of the things going on in your life. Don't you don't have you don't have to go to work this morning. You get to go to work this morning. It's an opportunity to make money, it's an opportunity to network, to grow your skill set. It's an opportunity. So stop viewing things like they're a hassle and start viewing them like they're awesome, and then i think the balance just kind of comes.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. Uh, I've like found and another thing to that I've recently learned to kind of keep in mind is to also make time for yourself. Yes, you want to make time for your friends. Sometimes it's really totally e- it's really easy to get stuck up in. Oh, I have to go here. Then I have this family event. Then I have to do this. And then I have to do that. It's really important for your own sanity. Really is yeah. to kind of. Make I will time literally for yourself.
0: write down, and this is maybe a little excessive, but it works for me. I will literally write down in my planner bath. Yeah, bath and read. (laughs) Because remember to put your I'm so busy that I won't. Yeah, I will not do it if I don't plan to do it. Maybe if I don't write it down, I still at least know in the back of my head when somebody texts me and says, "Hey, want to get together tonight?" Oh, I already made a date with myself. This is what I need to do for myself, and I'm sticking to it because if you made plans with me, I'd stick to those plans. So I think too, I really struggle with being flexible, and that's a flaw of mine. So if I if you tell me. If it's Monday and you tell me, let's get drinks on Thursday, I'm writing down drinks with Jordan on Thursday. And if you yeah. wait to tell me until Thursday at three o'clock, hey, never mind, I'm gonna be a little annoyed because I probably turned down another opportunity and it's too late. So for me, it's also a balance between being flexible and realizing life happens while letting people know I really value your time and I turn down other opportunities to make that time for you, to create that time for you in my busy life. So I think really it's everybody kind of handles time differently. I think it's really personal, but you got to decide what works for you and what's important to you. Yeah, definitely. You know? Mm-hmm. And then the last question before we wrap up, are people only on dating apps or do they meet people in person?
1: Jordan, how did you meet your boyfriend? So I, I played ultimate frisbee in college. It was, I grew up playing sports and I actually met him after graduating in a local league. So He and I, yeah, he and I met playing Frisbee together. um, And we clicked. We did really, we played really well together. He was funny. He started, I'll never forget it. He started talking about Game of Thrones when it was in like season two. And I was like, wait a second. He knows about this. And this was before (laughs) it was like the huge, ridiculous, like moneymaker that it is today. So he got my interest and he... I thought he was cute, and then he reached out to me after the se- after that season was over, playing in a league, and yeah, everything else kind of just fell into place. He worked well with all with my friends; like I- he gets us. Like we're kind of weird people, but he also plays frisbee, so he understands. He's a we're weird, and he is as well. So right, yeah, it was it was really yeah. funny. So I mean, but I do have the same time, I have a lot of friends that did meet people online, and uh one of my friends met her wife online, and. And that's it's a, it's a real because it's tough to meet new people and it's meet so new friends and do all that stuff now. Like I'm so thankful that I have my friends from college because right. they are my friends. That is that is my chosen family essentially. So I'm fortunate that I was able to meet my boyfriend in real life. Um, yeah. But it, there's nothing against it now. I th- I think it's cool because it's it's a place to really learn about someone. Like you said, like having interviews with people. Right. Here's our here's a cheat sheet of someone to kind of learn more about them and want to interview them and, yeah. com- and come to that realization. So I think it's pretty, it's cool either way, as long as you meet someone yeah,
0: and you're I don't think happy. it matters, but to answer the question, yeah, people are meeting people in person. This is going to sound so shocking, but I don't, and I don't know why this is. Most of my friends who are in serious relationships met their boyfriend either in high school or college really? and are still with them. And it's funny because yes, I did go to a Southern school where I feel like most of my friends are married, pregnant, all, you know, the yeah. whole nine, two and a half kids, a picket fence, a dog. But also here, it's like, yes, I did grow up in a small town, like in a in a pocket suburb of Baltimore, but also a lot of my friends who are still in these relationships are not from a small town. Like they're from the city and they're still with these guys that they've been with since they were very young. So, um, yeah, I think people are still meeting people in person, the Last person that I dated, I was actually set up with from someone. Someone set me up with that person. Um, So I think that's something I hear about a lot is people getting set up. And I am not currently on dating apps. I will probably get back on them soon. I kind of decide when I'm ready and when I'm not. And I jump on them and then I get off and then I jump on them and then I get off. And then I meet someone in the wild. Everybody always laughs at me. I always call it out in the wild, (laughs) meeting someone. And then I get set up with someone and then I take a break from it all together. So yeah, I think people are meeting people in person, but people are definitely still on dating apps and I don't really think it matters. I think in my opinion, you're going to find who's meant for you and there's a there's a path for how you're going to find them and that's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: definitely. I think find, whether it's find getting involved in something or like finding something that you like doing and meeting and reaching someone that has a similar interest right. as you is kind of right a way to do it. But there, there is no right way to go about it. There right. is no... I think
0: you just have to be open.
1: Yeah. I think the stigma of meeting your loved one, your soulmate in high school, there are billions of people out there. So just because... Literally. You went to a small... <laughs> yeah. You went to a small suburb just because you met 50 boys that you grew up with. Oh, one of them is going to be my husband. Not that necessarily and probably not. not th- yeah, exactly. That's right. not a thing anymore. Right. So.
0: So I, yeah, I just think you have to be open to the possibility and unattached to the outcome. If you're someone who's saying, I can't get on dating apps, I can't get on dating apps, I really want to meet them in person. Well, you very well might. So keep doing what you're doing, get out there, but don't be too prideful to be on the apps because I know plenty of people who have met their boyfriend or husband or wife on the apps. So I would say, I hope that answers your question. But yeah, I think people are meeting people in all different kinds of ways. So that concludes episode one. Thank you so much for listening. It seriously is literally a dream come true to have this podcast finally come to life because it's been literally about five years since it's been burning in the back of my head. And I'm really excited and grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to listen to it. So if you have comments, questions, anything you want us to address on the podcast or anything you want us to share, please email us at podcast at enoughbiz.com. That's enoughbiz.com. And then you are also welcome to DM me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at the enough podcast. So you're welcome to submit questions or comments or anything of that nature there. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe, share with a friend and tune into episode two. We have a really exciting guest coming up for next time. And I'm really excited to have her call into the enough podcast. So for today... That's enough, and we'll catch you next time.